Before I start this week's episode of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just the usual note of thanks to Sora Shemazaki Pexels, who took the photograph, which adorns the cover art. Let's crack on. Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Chris Kirkbride. Sanctions and fraud dominate the limited financial crime news this week. A few reports to keep the avid readers busy and a roundup of cyber attack news. As ever, the more important stories I've linked in the podcast description. We'll start this week with sanctions. European Union first, where frequently asked questions have been issued on the import, purchase and transfer of listed goods, 13 of them I think there are. The Council of the European Union has announced that its restrictive measures targeting those responsible for undermining or threatening the territorial integrity, sovereignty and independence of Ukraine have been extended for a further six months until 15th March 2024. Linked to both of those stories, the frequently asked questions and the extension of the measures can be found in the podcast description. In the US, the Department of Justice has announced the successful, quote, disruption of a multi-million dollar shipment of crude oil by the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, a designated foreign terrorist organization that was bound for another country. This is the first ever criminal resolution involving a company that violated sanctions by facilitating the illicit sale and transport of Iranian oil and comes in concert with a successful seizure of over 980,000 barrels of contraband crude oil. Beyond Iran, the Department of the Treasury Office of Foreign Assets Control, or OFAC, has announced further sanctions on individuals and entities related to Russia's industrial infrastructure, which might be employed in the support of the military action against Ukraine. Links to the above stories can be found in the podcast description. Sticking with Russia, only this time moving to the United Kingdom, where the government has updated its guidance on third-country processed iron and steel. Link is in the podcast description. Now, before we leave the UK, we move to sanctions in Iran, or back to sanctions in Iran, certainly as the United States is concerned. It's not necessarily coordinated action, this, but the UK, Australia and the US have taken action against the human rights abuses or abuses which have occurred in Iran. The Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation, or OFSI, in the UK has announced five additions to the Iran human rights financial sanctions regime, and the Australian and the US governments have announced sanctions against certain members of the regime for its suppression of women and girls, especially in light of the anniversary of the death of Masa Gina Amini. The link to the notice from OFSI, as well as the press release from the US Department of the Treasury, can be found in the podcast description. Now we move on to consider fraud news. Fraud news this week starts in the United States, where Christy Goldsmith-Romero, a commissioner of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, the CFTC, has indicated that a federal registry should be created and maintained to allow investors to check the American public, uh, sorry, to, to, to allow investors to check um, a register uh, for fraudsters. The register would be open to the American public so that they could do a quick reference before making any kind of investment decision. The stat which really stood out for me 
in all of the stories which reported this, or all of the news outlets which reported this, is that U.S. citizens reportedly lost $3.8 billion in 2022 to investment scams, which is the most significant category of scam. Now, there's no governmental proposal in the U.S. for this, and there's nothing indicated to be in the pipeline, but this may be something of an attraction to policymakers in the U.K., there happen to be a range of registers available with information which might allow someone to check on the goodness of an individual or a corporation, but a single register drawing information from a range of sources might help better inform. That being said, one could provide all the information possible such that an individual is able to make an informed decision, but if they don't use it, then there isn't an awful lot that can be done about it. In the UK, the Serious Fraud Office has announced charges against four individuals who, it contends, had some role in the collapse of Patisserie Valerie, which was a kind of cake shop, high-end cake shop, I suppose, would be the best way to describe it. This is the quote. The SFO has charged former director and chief financial officer of Patisserie Holdings PLC for 12 years, Christopher Marsh and his wife, accountant Louise Marsh, as well as financial controller Pritesh Mystery, and financial consultant Nilesh Kumar Ladd. All four suspects were served with charges at their homes. The SFO has charged all four suspects with conspiring to inflate the cash in patisserie holdings balance sheets and annual reports from 2015 to 2018, including by providing false documentation to the company's auditors. During this time, the company also reported holding 28 million in accounts yet concealed $10 million in debts from, it, from its investors and creditors. The link to that press release from the Serious Fraud Office in the UK is in the podcast description. In other news from the UK, Kenneth James Campbell has been banned as a company director for 14 years for his part in an investment scam, which was little more than a Ponzi-style scheme where initial investors were paid modest returns by funds obtained from later investors. That's textbook Ponzi. Link is in the podcast description. Finally, from the UK, the Payment Systems Regulator has announced a consultation on proposed changes to the uh, authorised push payment scam timeline and reporting periods. The link to that is in the podcast description. And finally, on fraud, the Council of the European Union under the Presidency of Spain has announced that a conference will take this take place this week in Malaga, very nice, concerned with the topic of the new challenges in the fight against online fraud. It's on Monday and Tuesday of next week, and I think we can expect to be info-bombed with the outcomes next week. Now, away from fraud to money laundering. Not a lot here on money laundering, but there's a, a bit of interest. So in terms of the money laundering news this week, there's a major publication from Europol. The publication, The Other Side of the Coin, an analysis of financial and economic crime, as you can probably guess from its title, is quite a broad paper. The report has much relevant content across a range of themes, but provides a good deal of interesting content on money laundering. From the report is the following quotes, almost 70% of criminal networks operating in the EU make use of basic money laundering techniques and about 30% engage with professional money laundering networks and or underground banking systems. 
That latter stat is concerning, I think, since it indicates quite a significant number operating at a higher level of sophistication. In terms of how it's undertaken, quotes, money laundering is performed through informal value transfer systems, cash smuggling, transfer of funds, trade-based money laundering, digital asset trading, and or investments in the legal economy. In addition, the report also quote, it provides the following, and this is a, again a direct quote, the abuse of legal business structures is key to money laundering. Licit and illicit funds can be easily mixed, and the identity of beneficial owners is masked by layers of corporate structures spread across multiple jurisdictions, often offshore. Indeed, the scale of abuse of legal business structures, or LBSs, is such that the report estimates that 80% of criminal networks use them. As the report provides, quotes, due to the nature of their criminal activities, which constantly bridge between licit and illicit economy, the facade of a legitimate business is key for evading law enforcement attention. To facilitate their operations, criminals own or infiltrate commercial entities. The link to the report, which is well worth reading, is in the podcast description. Now, a little bit of market abuse news before we round up this week's cyber attack news. First, the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC in the US, has announced charges against broker-dealer Virtu Americas uh, LLC and its parent company Virtu Financial Incorporated, quotes for making materially false and misleading statements and omissions regarding information barriers to prevent the misuse of sensitive customer information. Link to the SEC press release is in the podcast description. The other piece of news in this area is from Sweden, where the Economic Crime Authority has raided the stock exchange in Stockholm as part of an ongoing investigation into market abuse. Expect more on this story over coming weeks. Now, this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast ends with a roundup of cyber attack news. Um... The main piece of cyber attack news which seems to, obsess, seems to have obsessed the media this week is the attack on MGM Resorts, which runs a range of services including hotels and gambling establishments. The attack has affected all aspects of its business, with digital keys being replaced with physical keys in its hotel, while the scale of attack is being investigated by external cybersecurity professionals. In the UK, Details of officers attached to the Greater Manchester Police, which is a northern police force in the UK, have been hacked and uh, in a reported cyber attack this week. This attack comes shortly after the data breach following a cyber attack on the police service of Northern Ireland. The GMP, that's the Greater Manchester Police, was working on mitigation measures to limit the impact of the attack. The final attack news is a claim of responsibility from Dunghill Leak for the Sabre cyber attack. It's claimed that 1.3 terabytes of information have been taken and will be posted in full to the dark web. Now, we close this week's cyber attack news with a little light reading for those working in cyber crime and the cyber attack contexts. First, the National Cyber Security Centre and the National Crime Agency have issued a joint white paper on ransomware, extortion and the cybercrime ecosystem. The white paper covers a range of ransomware issues highlighting the development of the service model, with criminals needing less 
technical competence because of the availability of already developed ransomware tools. The other document is the first in a series of reports published by Europol following the Internet Organised Crime Assessment 2023 report. This report, Cyberattacks, uh, the Ape of Crime as a Service, reflects on developments in cyberattacks considering new technologies and threats observed by Europol's operational analysts. Quotes, it also outlines the types of criminal structures that are behind cyberattacks and how these increasingly professionalised groups are exploiting changes in geopolitics as part of their methodologies. Links to both documents can be found in the podcast description. Well, that's it for this week's relatively short episode of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. If you want to do so, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear from me again, all being well, next week with the usual roundup of all things financial crime. Have a great week, everyone.